It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is John Kathlamidis. He's the man about town whose column runs daily in the Las Vegas Review Journal. His podcast's podcast can be found at reviewjournal.com as well. And you can follow Katz on Twitter at Johnny Katz, and that's K-A-T-S for those of you who may not know how Kathlamidis spells his name. And Katz, welcome to the show. Hey, Ira. It's good to be with you again. It's an interesting time, isn't it, for you and for all of us in Las Vegas with the coronavirus and particularly you, because you have a daily column, and I'm intrigued by what you do now that all the entertainment venues, temporarily, of course, have shut down, and you have to really be creative in terms of approaching entertainment news. So how do you handle that? Well, yeah, it's a a good question. And and that was a question we had when we saw this coming, too, in my company. And myself, what is this world going to be like when we don't have a you know, uh, events and entertainment uh, and sporting events, galas and all the mass gatherings that we're so used to in Las Vegas. Uh, I can tell you just because performances have halted in that context, performers are still out there doing what they do and, and just in a different format. So what it, it feels like to me is that the entire entertainment community has stopped and they're all relaunching or most of them are relaunching new projects on the Internet somewhere. You know, <laughs> so that makes my life very interesting. You know, you have a, a someone who might have been a headliner in a strip showroom or in a show that was in a strip showroom, all of a sudden turning around and doing something different on their uh, YouTube or Facebook page or Instagram live, wherever it may be. And uh, it's actually pretty interesting to see how this community shifts and morphs and, and uh, contributes and presents their work in a different platform. So that's uh, a lot of what I'm doing right now is that is that type of story. And and also talking to people who are coping with this and how they're getting through it. Just had a big interview uh, with the president of the Smith Center for the Performing Arts here in Las Vegas, Myron Martin, who's seen a lot of crisis in Las Vegas and a lot of recovery in Las Vegas, talking about where this falls in the history of the city and what it means to the, the city's Performing Arts Center. So we're, uh, there'll be a lot of those types of interviews. There's, you know, people with perspective and how we get out of this and how they how they uh, are going to cope, how they're going to get through it financially, how they're going to get through it creatively, how they're going to get through it emotionally. And there are always stories. And if you're a writer as you are, and as I've told you over the years, a very prolific writer and a good writer, does the fact that you come from the Midwest have an impact on your approach? In other words, a lot of people would think that you have to be a sophisticated guy from Hollywood to or from Las Vegas to get the scene here, so to speak. But you come from a whole different background, and yet you fit right in. <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's the Intermountain Northwest is my actual underpinnings in Idaho, and uh, I always you know, think I, I always think of that as the Midwest, John. So <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> the flyover states. We we were once in there. I, uh, I I tell my friends from Iowa, we're great, a lot in a lot of people's minds, we're the same state. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa, Idaho, whatever, <laughs> in the middle somewhere. But no, I get what you're going after at, at here, Ira. You know, I think. Uh, that um, I think one of the misconceptions about being from a smaller community is that that those of us who are from those small communities have, would have a tougher time adapting to a more cosmopolitan, metropolitan city. I haven't found that to be the case at all in Las Vegas. My underpinnings are 
Pocatello, Idaho, which is a small town, 65,000, and the son of a veterinarian, you know, and we moved to Chico, California, which is a little bit bigger, but not much. It's also a community, and we uh, we owned orchard land there, and we're part of the community fabric in that city also. And so those, what Las Vegas reminds me of so much of is that it is, we always say it, it's a big city, but a small town. There's a very community vibe about Las Vegas and that community feeling. And it's a very receptive city also. So I've met, since I've been in Las Vegas, since I moved here in 1996, I've met people from all over the world. And that quality of being having, having interpersonal skills that were formed in smaller communities has helped me in my work. You know, because you can you can be introduced to somebody who's from, we have a lot of international acrobatic performers, for example, that have come in through Cirque du Soleil or Spiegel World shows. And if you just tell them, you know, this is what I do, I chronicle what's happening in Las Vegas, and if you need anything, let me know, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and usually that's a good entry point wherever you're from, whether it's New York or, you know, Ukraine. You know, I've met them all. And that has helped serve as a man about town column. It's, it is a town. It's not man about city. That is a, a description that is on purpose. And we want to make people understand that um, Las Vegas, how as big as the brand is and as big and powerful as our image can be, is very much a, uh, has a small town atmosphere, in the, especially in the entertainment community. It's not just the entertainment community, but there's other subsets and other communities within the larger Las Vegas community where that's exactly the case. I remember the fact that it's a little bit different now than when I moved here, which was in 1978. But mm-hmm. in those days, you could get hold of somebody within one phone call. Now it takes usually two phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> and the, that and the, and the traffic are the two main changes that I've seen. But the small, not the small town, but the town feel is still a town feel if you are part of the community. And that part doesn't change. Yeah, community is the word. You know, I, I think that's, uh, uh, that's what I feel. And when my, you know, when my family comes to visit Las Vegas, it's, re, you know, from their respective cities now in, in Idaho, and my, most, a lot of my family lives in Boise. They feel that. They feel that kinship. And if you really dig into the, the, the depth of someone's bio, a lot of us come from places that are smaller, you know. <laughs> I was just writing about Jewel recently in her town in Homer, Alaska. That has to be a small star. town. Yeah, yeah, right? Every, if you're from Alaska, it's a small town. It's a very small town. And uh, so she, you know, people like her carry that small town quality. I think of the Osmond family. We got to know Donnie and Marie over the years here in Las Vegas. They, originally, the family's from Malad, Idaho, and you could you have that kind of conversation with them. And I, I, I find that it's helpful to. Um, and when you get to, when you get in to know somebody, especially over time, to know where they come from and how their families developed, and, and it adds a different dimension of your coverage. And you do get more interesting material to write about to report about when you when you know them that way. You mentioned earlier in our conversation about entertainers doing it differently now. So for example, a headliner on the strip can now be on YouTube from their living room. So now you get a chance to see the intimate side of an entertainer. But don't you think also it's the great leveler in the sense that a headliner on the strip or someone's working downtown or off strip, they all now are using YouTube and other social media to perform or to entertain? It is. It's it, you get to see entertainers in a different, certainly in a different context and a different scale, and that's interesting to me. You know, I've I've been watching 
for example, Matt Franco, who's a headliner at Link Hotel on the Strip. He was in America's Got Talent champion about five years ago, and he's been a headliner in Las Vegas ever since. And he's got production in his show. He's got he's got some big pieces in his stage show. You could never replicate in your home, but you do get to see Matt Franco, and he does these on Wednesdays. He posts them on his Facebook page. Do card manipulations, sleight of hand, you know, up close magic, and it's it's very interesting to see somebody you know do the do their craft in, in a very organic way. You know, I was just uh, watching you know friends of mine, Frankie Marino, Brody Dolina, Travis Clower. I mean, these guys, Travis from the Jersey Boys, these guys are top talents, believe me, and they're doing their music in their homes or their home studios. You know, Travis has got a thing where he's doing a tour of his house. He's got dates. Like, on April 10th, it's going to be in the kitchen. <laughs> April 17th in the garage, like that. And, and the, so that, that's pretty funny. He's actually created a mini tour. And uh, But you do get to see them do what they sing and perform and play music in a different atmosphere in a very unvarnished way in many ways. I won't, well, maybe not unvarnished, in a very organic way that has been has a little bit of production on it to account for the sound, but it's pretty much them or with a performer, you know? Sure. There's and, no special lighting and there's no makeup. Mm-mm. There's no pyro. That's what I told right. Travis. Right. Exactly. Pyro to this Frankie Shinta also is doing something on a regular basis too. Yeah, absolutely. You got to mention him. He, Frankie's uh, performances are him at a, a keyboard, looking into the camera, playing music, doing impressions, telling jokes and, and weaving his life story. into it. It's a fascinating uh, time piece of time to spend with Frankie. He's so genuine. Another one. That's a great example. Yeah. And there's also, you mentioned organic, and it's also the the part about here you have these performers who are maybe for the first time having to deal with technology by themselves as opposed to having a crew or assistants that can do it for them. Mm-hmm. That's that's another uh, <laughs> that's another quality. It's a it's a like I've been listening to. Well, I did for example, Murray Sawchuk, a magician at Laugh Factory at Tropicana who had just moved into uh, Fantasy at the Luxor. And he did a face, no, he did a YouTube live performance. He's been doing these fairly routinely and he did it, he's been doing them on the weekends, including on Sundays. And he he sets up uh, different staging areas in his home and he does he does a, a few minutes in one area and then he invites his sidekick lefty, Doug Lafarovich, and he does some magic. And then they move to a tabletop with some felt, and they do up-close magic there. And then they do a thing at the end where they show how to do some kind of entry-level magic tricks. So if you're tuning in and, and you were interested in how to do magic, they will explain a couple, maybe three or four tricks. And that's a fairly well-produced. It's got lighting. It's got you know multiple staging areas. It's all done off of an iPhone still, the, the video. But um, you can you can get into some some different climates in your house if you're inventive. My buddy Sean Eiferman, who does these on noon at noon at 8 p.m., he started in his home studio, but he didn't like how it really looked. The lighting wasn't great. So he moved the whole thing into his master bathroom, <laughs> and, which, which, which has great lighting. <laughs> it sounds terrific, but I, I, I hopped on one day, and I'm like, wait a minute, where are you now? He's like, and he's interacting with his, with his audience. And he's, oh, I'm in, I'm in the master bathroom now. You know, nothing to be alarmed about that. <laughs> so he probably finding a way. Finds a way, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, he probably gets a little echo, too. So sounds of old radio with the echo effect it's, being it's in the bathroom. Like Sun, it's like Sun Studio, Sam Phillips Studio. It's <laughs> 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 on, on record. <laughs> <laughs> so I think 
what's interesting about what you're talking about is performers will find a way to perform. So if they're stuck in the house or apartment or condo or wherever they're stuck, they're not right. just going to sit there. They're going to figure out a way, even if they have to learn how to use Zoom or YouTube or anything else that they've not been able to figure out before, now that they are figuring out. Yeah, it's forced. Uh, what's the term I heard? Zoom babies or baby Zoomers? <laughs> which, is, uh, which is the baby boomer generation has been forced to learn new technology. <laughs> That's what they're calling, calling them. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, on the cusp of Gen X. You could say that about my... my uh, my uh, uh, demographic as well. I've learned how to do quite a bit of, and I was pretty socially, you know, social media adept to begin with, but things like Instagram live, things like uh, getting on zoom uh, and revisiting Skype. We're doing Skype at the review journal and I hadn't used Skype in quite a while. And uh, even FaceTime, you know, uh, right. It's just, right. They're just different ways, different you know, ways. And as, what, as, go ahead. As, as I was going to say, as someone who does uh, multimedia, chronicling you know how it is you know there are different ways to tell stories and there are different ways to reach people and i've done pretty much all of them in the past you know since all this started since the middle of march you know? right but even before that if you want to see a show in and of itself you have to go see cats at an event or a party or a show and because he's not only tweeting he's instagramming he's writing he's taking notes on his iPhone. I mean, there's 9,000 things going on, and somehow he's also enjoying whether it's the show or the gala or the party or the event. Yeah, it's part of my world. It really is. I've been trying to actually mitigate that a little bit so I have more of a, so I can enjoy the texture and, and the, the, the feel of where uh, the event I'm at. I, the, last, when, the last big event that I did as far as galas before all this happened was the Power of Love Keep Memory Alive event that, that uh, benefits the Lou Rubo, the Cleveland Clinic Lou Rubo Center for Brain Health here in Las Vegas, a major brain research and treatment institute. There were 1,600 people in there, and Neil Diamond sang at the end, unscheduled, unbilled, and it did a medley. And in an event like that, I'm trying to enjoy what's happening and interact with all of our friends, the, the dignitaries who are in, in the room, but I'm also responsible for getting neil diamond accounted for when he walks on stage and starts singing sweet caroline and that is a that's the challenge and not to be swept away in the performance but really be disciplined enough to get it right and get it because it's not going to happen again and uh that's that's become part of my world too you aren't just sitting there and recording it with a notepad you know i'm running up to the stage I'm, i've got the camera out i'm in the like in the mosh pit, I call it the posh pit. <laughs> the, the power of jostled by, by the well-heeled. <laughs> that's how it is. That's how media is anymore. And that's even what what we're do, doing right now. That's the rule of the day. I'm doing a thing right now called I'm doing a number of uh, multimedia things. But one of them is called Cats Walk that we've started at the Review Journal, where I I walk a segment of the Las Vegas Strip and narrate what I'm seeing during the time when there's hardly any pedestrian traffic on the Strip. That has become very popular, and that's entirely a video. It's been mostly, I should say, mostly a video compliment on our website. It's, been, it's gotten a, a great deal of traffic and traction. So people like, people like that kind of stuff. Absolutely. That's reviewjournal.com. Let's take a break. My guest, John Katzlamidis, is the man about town whose column runs daily in the Las Vegas Review Journal. His podcast, podcast, say that three times real fast, can be found <laughs> at reviewjournal.com as well. And you can follow Katz on Twitter at Johnny Katz. We'll be right back. 
We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Thank you for staying home from Nevada. As we continue to work together to prevent the spread of COVID-19, we must all do our part. Avoid non-essential travel and gatherings. Work from home. And remember, if you must go out, stay six feet from others and wash your hands often. If you're sick, you must stay home. We all know someone we want to protect, mom, grandpa, or a family friend. There are many reasons to stay home for Nevada and stopping the spread of this virus is up to all of us. And I encourage Nevadans to stay up to date with reliable information by calling 211 or visiting the Nevada Health Response website at nvhealthresponse.nv.gov. Thank you to everyone for supporting your neighbors, working together, and staying home for Nevada. This message funded by a grant through the Nevada Department of Health and Human Services aired in cooperation with the Nevada Broadcasters Association and this station. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with John Katzlamitas, the man about town whose column runs daily in the Las Vegas Review Journal. His podcast podcast can be found at reviewjournal.com, and you can follow Katz on Twitter at Johnny Katz, and that's K-A-T-S. You know, there's a few people out there that might spell it C-A-T-S, but we, we set them straight, I think, John. They spell it K-A-T-Z, too, and that's, an, that's problematic because they think I'm the deli owner in New York. Seriously, I, I, get these, I get these screen grabs of Katz Deli. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, ever, and ever since Saturday Night Live started using those, uh, they updated their montage a few seasons ago where they used the Katz Deli sign as one of the, the images of New York in <laughs> Variably, somebody says, hey, I saw you, did you. Did your family have this deli in Manhattan? No, actually, the deli's in Idaho. Yeah, that's what I should make. The KTS, the cat's KTS deli. It's all tater tots. Everything's tater tots. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's KTS. There you go. And uh, when you talked earlier about entertainers performing from the confines of their abode, I like that word, abode. I'm just, yeah, abode. Abode. Let's turn it around. Let's turn around to cats in the in the sense that even though you're doing the strip walk for the review journal, you are doing less out and about for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So, how do you cope as a writer and a prolific writer and a daily columnist? Because that's an impact on you as well. So, you're obviously you have to work the phones more. You have to use, mm -hmm. as we talked about, social media, skyping mm -hmm. and Zoom, etc. And you ha also have to file your material electronically, which you do anyway. But the point mm -hmm. is that you're you're in a, I'll, I'll make it stark, you're in four walls and you don't get out as much as you normally do. And I should, for our audience, indicate that Katzlamidis is out literally, well, okay, figuratively 24-7 because he's always working. And you could see him, if you're so inclined, at two or three events or four events in one evening or during the day even, and now you're restricted for obvious reasons to not going out as much. So how are you handling that? Well, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, that, that has been the great challenge, which is man about town. What, what does it mean? It means you are out and about, and, uh, and a, a scenester, for lack of a better term. I, I have found that one, one component of, of this job, at least as I do it, is during the day, during my days, 
under normal routines, I am not out. I am constructing and working and writing. And that's what the that's the side of the job that people don't normally see. You know, they say, "Oh yeah, you're posting all the time, and you're you know you're at this, at this show and that event, and uh, you know it doesn't seem like you ever sleep." You know, and I, I don't post from my place when I'm transcribing. I don't post at my place when I'm doing phone work and making sentences. Uh, there's a lot of uh, time that's not accounted for on social media where I am actually, you know, during the the nuts and bolts, the blocking and tackling of creating a column. And uh, that's always happened during the day. You know, that's that's usually and, and then I go out and collect information at night. And sometimes I'll come in late at night and write. But usually it's the next morning. So how it's worked now is I'm still a man about town, man about community, I guess, in, in an electronic way, in, in a in a social media capacity. I'm on the phone far more. I'm on texting a lot more. And I grab people and interview them that way. And tell the stories that way. You know, I do I do Instagram live segments. So I'm going to be doing one uh, with uh, Chris Wink, who's an original member of the Blue Man Group. We're going to be talking about what he's been up to. He's he's in charge of the creative programming at a place called Area 15, a multimedia entertainment complex. It's just off just off the uh, Interstate 15 here in Las Vegas. And that's Instagram Live. That's going to that's where that's going to exist. We're going to talk there, and I'm going to write about him afterward. So you just have to be a little bit more creative. But I will tell you that there are a lot of everybody who has been in my column before the coronavirus outbreak is still in play for now, whether it's Cirque du Soleil, whether it's our headliners, whether it's uh, those who have performed in lounges and showrooms. They're still doing things. There's still stories to tell. And there are still issues that we have to examine that are related to the entertainment community one is one example is what i'm working on right now is how what we call gig entertainers gig performers contracted performers Mm -hmm. who don't have a parent company maybe you don't work for mgm resorts international but you are an entertainer in las vegas who's in two or three shows and does a lounge gig once a week they're called 1099 employees and these also are the uber drivers for example and those who are contracted workers most of our entertainers in Las Vegas are 1099 workers. And when all this happened, they found themselves out of work. Originally, there was no support system for them from our elected officials. They were on their own. The stimulus package does have a provision to account for the 1099 workers. And that is a huge benefit to Las Vegas entertainers because I was interviewing Jennifer Romas, the creator and star of Sexy, the adult review at Westgate Cabaret. She's in podcast now. She's at the Westgate Las Vegas, the old international in Las Vegas, Hilton, with her show. And she said 90% of the people that she knows in Las Vegas fall into that category. Yeah, that that's astounding because just for historical purposes, in the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, and probably a, a little bit into the 80s, you had primarily performers who were under contract with individual hotels or properties either the headliners or if you worked in the lounge, you worked in the lounge for X number of weeks. Mm-hmm. And there was that relationship. When the corporations came in, that whole thing changed. And yes. so, so now you Absolutely. don't really have yeah. that as much. That's correct. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, good, a good history lesson. And, and you have headliners who are, well, there's a few that are probably still within the old model, but very few, where they are under contract with the hotel. So many, and you, you've written about this, the whole four-wall issue, which for our audience, again, four-wall is where you're an entertainer, again, a 1099 or independent contractor. You come in and you work out a deal with an individual 
property to rent their showroom. And there may not even be a synthesis between you and the theme of the hotel. And so Mm -hmm. you're responsible for your own advertising. In most cases, you're responsible for a lot of other things. And there's this disconnect between the host hotel and you as an entertainer or you as a production within that hotel. Right. right. Yeah, that's and that's exactly right. There's, there, there are two ways to deal with this climate now that so many, uh, all the shows are down. If you are a, uh, let's say you are a four-wall producer, you know, if you have a, a show that is, is performing in partnership with Caesars Entertainment, for example, and you have that show running regularly. It's a resident show. It's, you know, the, the Johnny Katz, uh, musical cabaret, and I bring that show into Caesars. They have a and I rent lease the room, and then I I hire contracted entertainers. Those entertainers are going to be supported, and also myself as a small business person, but as a small business owner, can apply for assistance also at the uh, in, in this case at the Nevada Department of Employment website, and I can get assistance to get through this. So the stimulus package, those who wrote the the provisions did understand the real world in which we live in, especially here in Las Vegas, that it's not just we have a resort company that pays all these people to do work. You know, that you might have been used to might have been the case generations ago where the hotel was, you know, gambling revenue was a river of molten gold. They just paid everybody. And as long as everybody made money at the end, it was fine. Now you have sub contracted partnerships and when the hotel goes dark they can't they can't account for all of their partnerships in this way all their vendors all their production partners so that's a very important thing i'm going to be writing about this too it's not really well known but if you are a producer in las vegas and you have partnerships with multiple hotels and hotel companies that's a very big deal and it will help, hopefully, if this can, can, if we can get ahead of this soon enough, it will help productions, entertainers, and even the resorts themselves survive financially because they've been, they've been sustained and they've been able to, to hold the, hold the casts together through this crisis. When this is all over, Katz, do you see the future of entertainment changed in the sense that do you see the same entertainers and production shows coming back? Do you see perhaps less Cirque or more individual headliners or less everything? Or how, how do you see the future, the near future and the far future, meaning the next couple of years in, on the Las Vegas Strip? Well, I think we were, we were kind of moving in a direction before this all happened. That was the, that the, uh, the traditional Las Vegas spectacle was, was being replaced by the more a more smaller scale, stylish, multi-entertainment experience. I'm, I'm looking at what's just opened at Bellagio called Mayfair Supper Club, which was a very kind of a throwback vintage Vegas, vintage, you know, New York City cotton club kind of place where you had a refined dining experience and a beautiful supper club. And uh, it was interspersed with production numbers and dancing and singing from different periods. And on top of that, you were looking out toward the uh, Lake Bellagio. That that used to be a nightclub called Hyde when they when they closed it and decided to do this. Before Hyde, it was called Fontana Lounge or the Fontana Room, which was just a, a basically a music performance space. 
I think we're going to see when this is all over with a smaller scale and, and maybe, but maybe more smaller scale performance venues, but more of them rather than people trying to build a 1,500-seat theater and move a production show into it. You know, I, I think Cirque du Soleil is going to find that they're going to have to make a profit with smaller houses in Las Vegas. They might even be trying to do their own version of something like Mayfair, or there was a plan coming in for the for Win Las Vegas called Delilah, which is a, a sort of on the Mayfair scale. And I, uh, you know, I was interested to see how that would that would be. And I'm, uh, yeah, I think I I think smaller and and I think baby steps when this all comes about too. I know Myron had made a very good point, and others have too that. It's going to be a minute before Las Vegas or anywhere in the country is going to feel really comfortable sitting next to each other at a big event, whether it's a sporting event or an entertainment event or a charity event, whatever it is. We're going to have to get past that. And, and no, here come the Raiders, by the way, in September, in August and September, 65,000 seat stadium. And we're going to have to overcome that issue when they open, hopefully in the fall. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been John Katzlamidis. He's the man about town whose column runs daily in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. His podcast podcast can be found also at ReviewJournal.com. And you can follow Katz on Twitter at Johnny Katz. And Katz, thanks for being on the show. Anytime, Ira. Thank you for having me on uh, over the years. We've, we've done many of these. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, uh, I'm good to go anytime you, anytime you want me. Anytime I appreciate you. it. Thanks so much. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be Las Vegas. Anything you want us to be.